0: Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. This morning, for the next couple weeks, we are going to um, spend our time just talking about Jesus. We're not going to talk necessarily about a topic, but we're just going to focus on Jesus specifically, and it's going to help lead us into Easter, and we're going to we're going to focus in on on the crucifixion scene. And so uh, this morning, if you are taking notes, I want you to write this title down. The title this morning is "Truly, this man was the Son of God." Truly, this man was the Son of God. Such an amazing phrase to be stated, but. We'll get into why it was said. So, will you just join with me? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus, thank you, God, once again for every person in this room. Lord, I thank you not just for open ears, but open hearts. And God, I thank you, Lord, in times like this, when we open up your Bible, something supernatural happens where you can actually speak into our hearts. God, we can be in a group of people, but somehow, some way, You can speak exactly to who we are, individually, although we're all together. And so God, I pray that you would do that this morning. God, speak to every single person in this room, God, that they once again would just know how much you love them, how much you are for them, and how much you want relationship with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Truly, this man was the son of God. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter twelve. We're going to look at verses twenty-two through thirty-three. We're actually going to skip around a little bit uh, in that passage, but we're going to be uh, here for a while. John chapter twelve. And uh, if you are new to this space and you don't necessarily have a Bible, it's fine because for these this series of messages, uh, we're going to actually have the scriptures. Put up on the screen for you to see. Uh, normally what we we put is just the reference so that you can go in your Bible and read it because how many of you know it's important to have a Bible to bring it with you and to read from it yourselves. And so uh, we're going to be here, but let me kind of give you some background for what's taking place. So Jesus is speaking to some of his followers and he has just arrived in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has claimed that He is the Son of God. Uh, He is the King of the Jews. Uh, He has come to the earth to bring people back to God, to reconcile a broken relationship between man and God. And the reason for the broken relationship, obviously, if you've been familiar with this type of setting, is sin. The people have fallen short of God's standards. So Jesus has come to bridge that gap, to bring them back to God. And to do that, he needs to go to Jerusalem. And So he's in Jerusalem, and uh, he is speaking to his followers, and I want you to notice that he is literally days away from Roman crucifixion. Days away. Now if you don't know what Roman crucifixion is, then let me describe it to you. Crucifixion was often the chosen penalty for criminals. This is how... Rome would determine how a criminal would die. They would be sentenced to death by crucifixion. So these Roman soldiers would lay you down on wooden beams in the shape of a letter T, also known as a cross, and they wouldn't just tie ropes around your hands and feet and tie them to the cross. No, they would anchor you to the cross with seven-inch nails. Seven-inch nails, I don't know the dimensions, but that's some long nails seven-inch nails, and they would drive them specifically through your feet and your wrists. Now, they knew the anatomy of the human body, so they would drive them between two bones because they wanted to make sure that you would be anchored well to the cross. And then they would lift this structure up into a hole in the ground, and you would hang on this cross roughly 12 to 13 feet above ground until you died. Now, that death could take days part of let me just I want you to understand that there was a psychology behind this type of death because today I mean this wouldn't be normal but people have died by 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 firing squad which is a quick and easy but the Romans didn't want that for criminals they wanted them to die a long horrible death and so they knew the anatomy, that when you are hanging, all of your weight from gravity is pulled down, which actually compresses your lungs. So these, these days of death often were by suffocation. And the only way that you could breathe and really truly feel like you got your wind is if you would push off of your feet, which were nailed and anchored to the cross, up off of your feet to get a breath, and then you would, you would hang down. And it was this slow, agonizing death for a long time. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus knows this is actually the way in which He's going to die. He knows that this is what's coming. And He's literally days away from this moment. And here in this passage of Scripture, we actually see two things. Number one, we see that Jesus is trying to mentally, emotionally, and spiritually prepare His followers for what He's about to do. But we also see the human side of Jesus here in him wrestling with this impending reality. I don't care who, I don't care if you know and you believe that Jesus is the son of God, but I want you to understand that nobody in human flesh chooses the cross. Nobody does that. Did I get heavy real quick? I went from like a joke to heavy. My bad, my bad. Everybody was like, ha <laughs> So anyways, so he's wrestling with this impending reality. And in John chapter 12, verse 22, Jesus said, my time's up. The time has come to be glorified. It's interesting because that's not the type of word I would choose to describe going to a cross. But he says, it's time for me to be glorified. Verse 24, listen carefully, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. I love this. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. You would think that that would be, you would think Jesus had ADD and he's jumping from thing to thing. No. He is using this as a metaphor to describe what's about to happen when he dies. He knows that when he dies, it is like a seed planted in the ground that is going to bear fruit. And that fruit is more and more followers and converts and people that would begin to believe in who he says he is. He says, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, as it seems... It is never any more than a grain of wheat, but if it gets buried, it reproduces. So he's talking about his death. But then we see in verses 27 and 28, we see him shaken and wrestling with this reality. He says, right now, I am shaken. I'm shaken. Another translation said that his, he said, his soul had become troubled. You know what I love about Jesus and His claim to be the Son of God? I believe in that claim, by the way. But I love that here is God really understanding what it's like to be human. So often in every other religious setting, in mythology, the gods were above and beyond human beings. It was like this idea of perfection. And here, Jesus is like, I am just like you. I've walked in your shoes and I know what it's like. I am anxious. That word anxious here is distressed. It's restless. But I love what Jesus says. He kind of mans up. He says, right now I'm shaking. But what am I going to say? Father, get me out of this. No, this is why I came in the first place. So what I'll say is, Father, Put your glory on display. And lastly, in verses 32 and 33, I love this. He says, and I, as I am lifted up from the earth, will attract everyone. Say everyone. 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 Will attract everyone to me and gather them around me. And he put it this way. To show the way he was going to be put to death. Another translation says, and I love this phrase. This is what I've been thinking about all week long. If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. So good. This brings me to my first point this morning. Number one, Jesus died on the cross that he might gather everyone to himself. Say everyone again. Turn to the person next to you and say, yeah, you. (laughs) He came to draw you to himself. Everybody. Everybody. See, it's interesting because what does that even mean? What does it even mean that Jesus would draw everyone to himself? It's an important question in the light of our current culture today. And here's why. Because how many of you know that we live in a fame-chasing culture? (laughs) When Jesus says, I'm gonna draw everybody to myself, it's important because we live in a fame-chasing culture. Everybody is trying to get famous. Everybody is looking for their 15 seconds of fame. Some of you old heads in the room, no disrespect, if you knew how to do social media, you'd probably try to be going viral too. But everybody, especially young, is trying to get famous. 15 seconds of fame. Everybody is leveraging their social media to build their personal brands. There's a phrase in culture today, and it's, 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 it's a trend, it's called clout chasing. How many of you have ever heard the, the phrase clout chasing before? Five of you, awesome. No. <laughs> I get I get it's not like a super familiar word phrase but this is the this is the phenomenon it's cloud chasing cloud chasing is all about drawing people to yourself it's about elevating your exposure it's about getting more likes and shares it's about becoming your own marketer Getting people to view your content, to expand and widen your audience. And people, here's the thing, people get sophisticated with it. They figure out the algorithms on Instagram and Facebook. By the way, those, there are algorithms that will tailor the content directly to your profile. How do I know this? Because if I go to Instagram and I search, which I do this all the time, I search like woodworking stuff. So if you go to like my search, you'll see a whole bunch of woodworking tool things because, you know, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. And so there's a total Bible joke that didn't land <laughs> a little. But here's the thing. You go there. I search one video. Guess what happens the next time I come back to the search? I got 50 carpentry videos. It's called an algorithm. And so people will get smart with building their brand and cloud chasing. They will start to figure out what people need. They'll start to figure out what uh, things, hashtags they need to put on their videos, what type of content they need to create to generate an audience. And they will build their brand. But here's what happens. It creates an unintended social narcissism where everybody is consumed with themselves. But let me just say something. Jesus wasn't cloud chasing from the cross. Because Jesus wasn't a narcissist. And how do I know that? Because no narcissist is going to choose the suffering of hanging on a cross. Jesus was not clout chasing. He wasn't trying to draw people to himself to build his brand. You don't choose to die on a Roman cross with seven inch nails driven through your wrists and feet. If you're trying to seek pleasure and you're trying to seek fame and fortune. You don't choose crucifixion to build your platform. If you are choosing it, it's because you have surrendered your life to a greater and higher purpose than yourself. And we see that Jesus was wrestling with the impending reality of what was going to take place. I don't want this. Can I say, can I tell you that Jesus did not want the cross to be the means for his death? So often we read in Hebrews, if you're familiar with Christianity, you see, but, but Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, uh, scorning its shame. Yes, I get that. But in this passage, we see him wrestling. We see him struggling with anxiety. In the garden, if you know, the day before he was arrested, the night before he was arrested, it said that he sweated drops of blood. You don't do that if you're excited. That is literally a medical diagnosis that's rare. When you're so anxious and so stressed that you sweat blood. This is what Jesus was wrestling with going to the cross. But let me tell you, his purpose was bigger than himself. And that purpose was that God's heart would be that every single person would know through Jesus' death how much He loves them. See, I love this truth because when I say that Jesus came for everybody to gather them to himself, Himself, He did not come for selected people. His arms symbolically were on that cross open because there was nobody Nobody that he was not coming for. I love this about Jesus. There's a parable that says that the kingdom of God is like this. He sends out invitations to a whole group of people to come to a wedding feast and nobody shows up. And then he tells his servants, well, go out and find anybody then. I I love this about God. I love this about Jesus. I love this about who God is. He's not about a selected people. He wants everybody. He wants the people that we don't like. He wants the people that you don't like to and don't want to invite to church. He wants everybody. He wants the people at your job that you don't like that are annoying. I can't stand that person. His arms are open to that person. Jesus has come into the world opening His arms through His death to everybody that would turn and put their faith in Him. He came for black, white, Asian, African, rich, poor... So you guys don't say amen because you already know this, right? Has it become that familiar? Yeah, I know that. But you know, if we had people in the room had no idea who Jesus was they would be transformed by those simple truths that we are that are so familiar Wow really there's a God like that yes he came for everybody everybody every single Person, And it's because he wants them to experience the overwhelming love and embrace of God. I love what Paul says about this in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. He said, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand Fully, Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Listen, we will never understand why God loves us so much. And listen carefully to me. This, it, it, we will never understand it. And even if we would be able to get an answer to how much or how God loves us, we still wouldn't fully understand it. For the rest of our lives on this earth, we will have to wrestle with just embracing the truth that God loves us so much. Because it's not, we can't fathom it. We can't understand it. Especially on your worst days. Now, if you have a good day, you think you earned it. But on the worst days, how could God love me? And if you're in the room this morning and you're wrestling with that, nah, I don't think so. I don't buy that. You've got to get over it. Because God displayed that through His Son hanging on that cross. There is no other way for Him to be able to display it. There's a song that we're going to sing later that says, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It was reckless for God to send His Son and choose crucifixion as the instrument of how He would die. That was reckless But God wanted to demonstrate this love in an amazing way. As we all know, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know what I love about that Scripture? It says, for God so loves the world. Not for God so loves people on Sunday mornings. For God so loves the Christians. Do you know? I know this sounds crazy because if you if you take this and you put it on YouTube, it will go viral for all the wrong reasons. But God so loves the Buddhists. God so loves the Hindus. God so loves the Muslims. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because God so loves the world. Not just us exclusively. He doesn't love subjectively, he loves objectively. If you're a human being, he loves you. This love is for everybody. There is no prejudice or bias in Jesus. He didn't come for selective groups. We see this picture in Revelation 7 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation. Now, by the way, I'm just going to say, I'm going somewhere. You're probably like, okay, I already get all of this, but where where are you going? I'm going somewhere, so trust me. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne of God. And before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Jesus died on a cross that he might gather everyone to himself, that they would experience the overwhelming love of God second thing is this, when Jesus draws you to himself, he brings people together as a family. It's not just that he draws you to himself without surrounding you with other people that believe in him as well. I love the quote, how many of you have ever heard this, that uh, friends are the family that you get to choose? (laughs) How many of you, at some point, if you've had brothers and sisters, you're like, why me, God? Why did you put me in this family? Friends are the ones that you get to choose. And and here's the reality. When Jesus draws you to Himself, you become surrounded by people that become like family. Friends that you choose become like family in ways that your family aren't sometimes. And why does Jesus do this? Because He has a way of uniting people to each other when they are drawn to Him. A couple weekends ago, uh, we went to um, see the Jesus Revolution movie. Has anyone ever heard of the seen the trailer for that or heard about it? It's ba- basically it's a historical piece about the Jesus movement. Which I love this. This perfectly embodies what I'm talking about. Uh, Jesus started to reach hippies. Anybody in the room claim, "Hey, I was a hippie." Anybody? <laughs> I love that. Love that. Tim, you know. (laughs) Tim's like, I still got a little. You can't outgrow it. There's still a little here. But here's the thing. My parents were hippies. And there was this movement in the 70s called the Jesus Movement. And it started in hippies. And I love that there started to be these pastors that were coming out of the hippie movement. And you know what they all would say? I love this. They would stand up and say, you know what? Everybody. Thought that God would never reach the hippies, mm. but He did. Amen. Yeah. Jesus came for everybody. That's right. Right. Who have you stopped believing that God couldn't reach? Oh, he came for them too. Yes. And there's going to be days where those people. Mm. I want. I, I'm just going to put it out there that in the days to come, I'm excited for when you will be humbled by being so surprised by who God reaches. I never would have thought that that would have happened, but it's going to happen because he loves them more than we even do. So we go to this Jesus Revolution movie and um, so I'm there and because, you know, my son wanted to go and Jason is there and a couple of other youth leaders are there and we've got like 20 kids with us. So we go to Steak and Shake and then we walk to the Marcus Theater this was after church on a Sunday, and so we walk into the, 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 like the front uh, lobby, and so we're just standing there, and a guy is getting his tickets at the counter, and he turns around. It's just him and his wife. And he turns around, and he looks at us, and then he walks up to me, and he says, are you guys a youth group? And I was like, yeah, we are. And he goes, I'm going to see the Jesus Revolution movie. Are you guys going to? And I was like, no, we're here to see Cocaine Bear. <laughs> I'm dead serious I said that. He was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. <laughs> By the way, can we just acknowledge, like, for real, that's the name of a movie. <laughs> People who used to go see Cocaine Bear, they have, like, Sharknado, se- Sharknado saved on their, on their uh, Netflix. <laughs> but for real, like, I was like, no, we're going to see Cocaine Bear. And he was like, oh, oh, okay. I was like, no, I'm just messing with you. I'm messing with you. So I go to the counter and get our tickets, and he walks off. By the way, this is just common. I just love messing with people like this. So anyways, so um, he goes off, and he's going to the concession stand to get some stuff, and I find myself behind him in line again. And so uh, I come up to him. I walk up behind him. I put my arm on his shoulder, and I said, hey, man. I said, I feel like the Lord wants you to buy our whole group snacks. (laughs) And... (laughs) and, and, (laughs) And so, so I, you know, and he's just like, he thought I was like dead serious. And I'm like, no, I'm just messing with you. But this is what I love what he said. He said, you know what? He said, honestly, he said, I'm not in the place to be able to do that right now. But that is something that I would love to be able to do. I would love to be able to do that. And so he, you know, I was like, I'm just messing with you. He walks off. Now, this is the cool thing. So he walks off and Gideon is with me the whole time in this conversation. And Gideon says, Dad, did you know him? And I said, no, I don't know him, but I know the Jesus in him. Uh-huh. You know why? Because when you're drawn to Jesus, you also become surrounded with people that otherwise would be strangers. But because they have the same Jesus inside of them that's in you, you know them. Come on. Amen. How is it only in the body of Christ? Can a complete stranger, once you know that they're a believer, instantaneously, it's like your family. Come on. And here I'm, he's like, how, do you know him? I said, no, I don't know him, but I do know the Jesus in him. And that is how we're able to be connected in this way. It was such an amazing illustration of the fact that when Jesus draws you to himself, and if I could have the worship team come back up, and when Jesus draws you to himself, he brings people together like family. And how does he do that? He does that, but by if I be lifted up from the earth, say it with me, I will draw all men to myself. Once again, as I was preparing this message, I could not get away from this phrase. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I was thinking about all of the people that scripture records that were at the cross the day that Jesus died. Jesus' death is recorded in all four in four books of the Bible: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in detail. And every one of these stories highlights different groups of people, but nevertheless, they were all there. Some of these people that we see are Jesus' mother. His aunt and another woman by the name Mary Magdalene. If you don't know Mary Magdalene's story, she was a prostitute. She was demon-possessed. But she met Jesus. And those things changed. And now she is... I want you to understand something that when you experience the overwhelming of love of God, you cash all of your chips in. For your life, it's like, this is it. I've never experienced love like this before. I don't care what I do for the rest of my life, but I can tell you this, I'm following Him. Because that love was so amazing. It was so overwhelming. So Mary Magdalene is there. We also see Jesus. a lot of Jesus' followers were there, including John, among other disciples. There were a whole group of women that were mourning Jesus' death. And you know what I love about that? In cultures that often suppressed the role of women, Jesus exalted women and they were so sad to see Jesus walk this road to his death because they knew, you know, there's that saying that says people don't care how much, you know, until they until you know how much they care and you can't remember what people say, but you can remember how they make you feel. That was Jesus. These women felt a different way in the presence of Jesus because of the way that He lifted them up and exalted them. And so there was a whole crowd of women that was mourning His death. There were Jewish leaders and those who were pleased to see Jesus crucified. They were glad and happy and excited to see Jesus walk to that cross. And then there were Roman soldiers One of them, we don't really know what his name was. All we know was that he had a role. He goes by Centurion. Centurion is simply a a phrase that means that he was in charge of 100 officers. But let me just say something about this scenario. There would have been over and over and over again, time and time again, these Centurions would have been assigned to this duty. This was not a random happenstance, circumstance of of events that caused this centurion to be here. This would have not been his first crucifixion he witnessed, nor would it have been his last. This would have been a familiar setting that this centurion would have been assigned to in his duty as a soldier. He would have been familiar with crucifixions. And once again, crucifixions were the common penalty for Rome. Thousands of people would have been crucified during this time of Roman occupation. In fact, there was a one time where 6,000 men were crucified at the same time along a, road in ro- along a road. They literally put every single crucifix in a line along a road. 6,000 people being crucified at one time because they just wanted to send the sign and the signal, you don't mess with Rome. This is what happens to anybody that would try to rebel. This is what happens to anybody that tries to mess with Rome. And this is who the centurion was loyal to. So you can imagine, I don't know about you, but just being a human being, at some point you have to flip a switch where you become callous to seeing people die this way. Okay? This is not something normal. This is something that would have been traumatic for anybody to witness over and over and over again. So for the, the centurion, I would, I would imagine to cope mentally and emotionally with what he sees in these types of scenarios, he would have had to flip a switch and become callous to the point that these people that are on these crosses, they're not human anymore. Okay? I don't know about you, but if I see some, a viral video of someone getting beat up, It's sick to my stomach. I can't even watch it again, okay? And in order for me to watch it again, I would have to flip a switch in my mind to say this is not real, this is not happening, in order to cope with the situation. This centurion, day in and day out, would have been assigned to tasks like this, where people would have to become just like animals. They can't be human, because you can't cope long-term was seeing this happen to human beings. So for this centurion, he would be there. And when, here's the thing, when you are on crucifixion duty, if you are a Roman soldier, you would have to stay on watch until they died. Your shift was not over until the person breathed their last breath. Now, some of the Roman soldiers would get tired of the days, days on end of someone struggling to stay alive, so they would come by and they would just break their legs. They'd get to a point where they would smash their legs in with the club so that they could no longer stand up on the cross to breathe again and it would end it, or they would take a sword to the spear, uh, a spear to the side and just finish it because they were probably tired of being on a never ending shift watching someone in agony die on this cross. Okay, so this is what the centurion is used to. What's interesting about that is this, though. He's also used to Jesus' claim of being a son of God. Now, we don't have any record that that the centurion knew who Jesus was, but he would have been familiar with this son of God phrase because it was actually a popular thing in Roman culture. The Caesars, which are the Roman emperors, also claimed to be the son of God. So when he sees that Jesus, King of the Jews, and he knows that that the the religious priests are saying, yeah, he's up there because he claimed a false claim that he's the son of God. He knows that familiar. He knows that it's familiar to him because he knows this is what the emperors call themselves. Matter of fact, at the time, the emperor was Tiberius. I told you I'm going somewhere. So listen. Tiberius was the son of God at the time. He was the emperor. He was called the son of God. Temples were built to Caesars to worship them as the son of God. And so here is Tiberius. And let me tell you, I want you to understand what he knew of the son of God and his behavior would have been dismantled by what Jesus displayed when he was hanging there. Because the way Jesus was on the cross was totally different than what he knew of what the son of God's behavior was. Let me tell you about this son of God that he knew. Tiberius was known as the divine son of Augustus Caesar. Tiberius, like the other Caesars, was wicked, and he was known for executing anybody who opposed him. He was known for his sexual perversion, where he would sleep with young men and then commit inhumane acts of cruelty with them, specifically one called the Tiberius Leap. When, when, and, and I'll tell you about what this was. He was an emperor that owned a, a palace on an island called Capri. And this is what he would do. You know what the Tiberius Leap was? He would commit inhumane sexual acts with young men. And then he would force them to jump to their death off of a cliff when he was done with them. And it was known in history as the Tiberius Leap. This picture is what is the foundation of this centurion's understanding of who the Son of God is. But when this centurion looked upon Jesus hanging from the cross, he saw nothing and heard nothing from him that fit his understanding of who the Son of God was. And it was because of this that he was convinced that Jesus was really the Son of God. Let me tell you something. He could see that though Tiberius claimed that he was the son of God, and though he was perverse and he did all these cruel acts, let me tell you something. He knows something inside of him that that's just a title that he's given, but it's not a title he's earned. Because every single thing that Tiberius does is all too familiar to being a human being. But when I see someone claiming to be the Son of God, hanging from a cross, looking at those who nailed him there, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, wait, wait, let me get a breath so I can look at a man and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. Let me get a breath so that I can look down on my mom and say, John, this is now your mom, you take care of her. And mom, this is now your son, you take care of When I see this, that's gotta be the son of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because that's not human. Yes, yes. That's different. Yes. I can't know. I know Tiberius says he's the son of God, but everything he does is what every other human being does. But that's not human in origin. That's different. And it was because of this that he looks at Jesus when he breathes his last breath and says, truly, truly, he was not a son of God. He said the son of God. The one and only. Because no one but God does that from the cross. I've heard the yelling. I've heard the agony. I've heard the screaming of people that are going crazy from the cross. I've heard the tears. I've heard the begging from, you just kill me quickly. Get me down from this but I've never heard from another mouth what came out of his mouth. Truly, this man was the Son of God. What the centurion didn't even know was that Jesus was drawing him to himself as he was being lifted up. See, you don't even understand. You think you just show up for no reason? No, you show up Because the Spirit of God draws you to Himself. You get invited by people, not because they're just being friendly, but because the Spirit is drawing you to Himself. Because He says that if He is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. And that centurion thought he was just taking another shift. He thought he was just there doing his duty, but he didn't even know that behind the scenes in the spirit realm, Jesus was working behind his back to get him there because God came to draw everyone to himself when he would be lifted up, even this centurion that just thought it was another shift. And everything he says and everything he does from that cross is with that centurion in mind. The one furthest away from the history of the Messiah and the Jews and the Christians. One that believes in pagan gods. One that believes their fathers are to be worshipped and prayed to. One that has an understanding of who the Son of God is, but he said no, the way that I hang from this cross, I am going to do something so profound and demonstrate such an amazing, overwhelming love of God that he will see that I'm not just some animal to overlook. I'm not one to become callous to, but I'm telling you for him to say truly he was the Son of God, there was a transformation in his heart that was taking place when he's yes. staring at him saying no yes. this is different this is not like every yes. other criminal yes. that I've seen nailed to this Woo. cross yes. this is different yes. truly yes. truly and if I be lifted up yes. I will draw even the centurions to myself yes. truly yes, Lord. he was the son of God I want you to understand the magnitude of God's pursuit of human beings. Jesus was being mindful of the way he was handling himself even on the cross. Because even in his pain and agony of his own death, he was still trying to draw anybody and everybody to himself that they might experience the overwhelming love of God. You better believe that when the priests and the scribes and the rulers and the Pharisees and the religious Jews that crucified Him, you better believe that when He pulled Himself up and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, He was drawing them! Everybody within the sound of my voice, please, Jesus, I know they had me up here to be crucified. Please, God, I know they had me up here to be crucified. But God, let them know that I'm not even angry at them, that I'm not mad at them. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know that they were God's instrument for me to come and hang from this cross that I might be able to make the love of God available to everybody, even those who crucified Him. So often we think that God's love is pursuing everybody else, but God was pursuing this centurion by positioning him right at the foot of Jesus, forced to stay there and watch Him until He breathed His last breath. This is the overwhelming, never-ending passionate pursuit of God. And as we close this morning, I want you to stand with me because we are going to sing a song that talks about the reckless love of God. And if you don't know the lyrics, I want the lyrics. I want you to be silent and just look at the lyrics and let them sink deep into your heart, because I'm telling you, this is God's heart you. We'll sing it and I'm going to come back up in a minute. Come on. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.